Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So we resume. We're in Parshat Vayera and we're in Perikaf and we're coming to Pasuk Yud. And the story is that Abraham and Sarah are in Girar, um, where the Philistim live. And Abraham said of his wife, she is his sister, like he did in Egypt previously. And Abimelech took her, but Hashem said, you can't touch her. And Abimelech um, is about to give her back. And he's having a discussion with Abraham saying, why did you do this? Why did you say she was your sister? when in fact she was your wife. And in Pasuk Yud, on which there's no Rashi, but it introduces the, the next part of the conversation. Abimelech says, Vayoma Abimelech el Abraham, ma ra'ita ki asita et hazeh. Abimelech says to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham's answer is very interesting. Pasuk Yud Aleph, Vayoma Abraham, Abraham said in reply, ki amarti rak ein yirat elokim bamakom hazeh. Only there is no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me about my wife, on the matter of my wife. In other words, if there's no Yirat Hashem, then everyone is fair game. Then people get killed. Um, we'll see in a moment what that year, uh, lack of Yirat Hashem looks like, because Rashi's got something to say, so I won't go into detail at the moment. But Yirat Hashem is a lack of consideration for other people. A lack of Yirat Hashem means there's a lack of consideration for other people. Um, the phrase, the, the reference to Yirat Hashem occurs, I think, at least two other times that I can think of. Um, Amalekh, when he came and fought against Israel when they were, and fought at the back when they were weak. Lo Yireta Elokim, he did not fear God. And another one I can think of is when the brothers say to Yosef, uh, sorry, when Yosef, who's still acting cruelly to the brothers, says, I'm going to take you out of prison where he just put them there because I fear God. And there's a common theme, actually, but fearing God leads to proper um, compassion to the weak and vulnerable. And a lack of fearing God is the opposite of that. But anyway, let's look at Rashi. Rashi on the words, Rak Eyirat Elohim. If a guest comes to the city, on matters of eating and drinking, they ask him, i.e. they should ask him. That's, that's normal. If you've got a guest, you say, where are you going to eat? Where are you going to drink? Or do they ask him about matters of his wife? Or is she your wife? Is she your sister? Okay, those are the words of Rashi. So we have to fill it out a little bit. So presumably what Abraham is saying is, I saw there's no Yirat Elohim because of what people asked me when I came into this area. They didn't ask me about where you're going to eat, where you're going to drink. They asked me, is this woman, is she your wife? Is she your sister? And that, says Abraham, is how, says Rashi, is how I knew Ein Yirat Elohim Bamakom Hazeh. Now, why does Rashi have to say this? Well, um, I think the answer is straightforward. Abraham's got to have some basis for making this claim. I saw, sorry, Amarti, I said, so he must have some reason for saying that. 
So Rashi provides the reason for his conclusion that there's no fear of God. Uh, he doesn't just sense it by uh, not really people turning up to Ninian, he senses it in a different way. And I also think it's very significant that Rashi explains that how in particular, uh, do you notice the society is fear, not fearing God? So there's two things that they did wrong. One is, and can, uh, this is in line with the other examples I gave a moment ago, they didn't show proper hospitality to a guest. Avram and Sarah, they're, they're moving around. Um, they're not fleeing from anything. They're not fleeing from famine like they were when they went to Egypt. But nevertheless, they're, they're new in town. It would be nice to look after them and not to do something which is not looking after them. That's point one. Point two, I think it's significant, but in particular, it's the objectification of women. It's the abuse of women saying, you brought a woman with you. Is she fair game or is she not? That was their focus. That is what Rashi says inspired Abraham to say, it's the treatment of women in particular that gave this signal. Okay, then Abraham says, so let's, let's look at this carefully because, because the way Rashi frames what Abraham says in Yud Bet is important and we have to go back. In Yud, as we saw, Abimelech said, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I saw there's no Yirat Elohim, so I was afraid you were going to kill me. And then he says something else. Vagam, Amna, and also, indeed, or in truth, Achoti, but Avi, he. She is my sister, the daughter of my father. Ach, lo, but imi. But she's not the daughter of my mother. But the Hilila Isha and she became my wife. So Abraham is saying, it's, it's not totally untrue. She is my sister. Like I said, she's my uh, sister through my mother. She's not the sister through, I'm sorry, other way around. She's the sister by being, sharing a father, but she doesn't share a mother. Okay, so Rashi's going to expand on this uh, and explain why he's, what he's saying, why he's saying it. First of all, is it true? Is she his sister? What is she? She's his niece. Okay, let's get the genealogy. Let's get the family tree. Terach had three sons, Nachor, Abraham, and Haran. Haran, who died in uh, Urkastim, as we learned at the end of Pashat Nach, uh, had two children. Um, it's not absolutely explicit in the Chumash because it gives Sarah a different name when, she when he lists the children of uh, Haran, but we assume that Iska is Sarah. Um, who was the other child of Haran? Lot. Okay, so um, Abraham marries Sarah, who is his niece. Uh, Lot then becomes his nephew stroke brother-in-law. By the way, what did he say to Lot when they separated? Uh, if you look in Perak Yud Gimel, uh, he says, we've got to separate. Yud Gimel Chet. Last words of Yudgimel Chet, ki anashim achim anachno, because we are men who are brothers, Abraham says to Lot. Is that correct? Yes. Brother-in-law. Okay, he's also nephew. Is nephew the same as brother? Well, bear that in mind. And what's this bit about um, sharing a father but not sharing a mother? And how is that true? And why is that relevant? So let's see what Rashi says. Um, you'd bet. Achoti bat avi he. She is my sister, the daughter of my father. 
Ubat av muteret leben noach. And the sister through the father is permitted to a ben noach. In other words, before the Torah is given, everyone, including Abraham, is a ben noach. Although elsewhere, Rashi says that Abraham kept all the mitzvot, but maybe that's not a contradiction, as you, as you will see. So Abraham is saying she's my sister, but obviously she's also my wife. That's been established. So how can his sister become his wife? So Rashi says that's why Abraham stresses that she's the sister through the father, but not through the mother. Because according to the Noahide laws, they can't commit sexual immorality and incestuous relations, but some of their rules for what's incestuous was different from uh, what the Torah says. And in particular, there's no yichus through the father. Somebody's father is not somebody's father in uh, Noahide law. She'ein, as Rashi says, she'ein avot legoi. There's no fatherhood. So the child of a father is not halachically, in the non-Jewish world, the child of the father. They are the child of the mother. Um, and he doesn't say why here, but the Gemara says it's because, um, it's not very nice to say, but because the non-Jews were very promiscuous. So you had no idea basically who your father was. Um, and the fathers had no idea who their children were. And that, that's uh, the Shtufe Bezimah, they're immersed in immorality. And uh, there's a Pasuk as well that compares them to donkeys. Um, so there's no father-child connection in non-Jewish halacha, as it were. So if somebody is a sister through the father, they're not a sister. They're just like a stranger. And therefore they're permitted to marry. Through the mother, it's different. There is a yichus through the mother and therefore had Sarah been Abraham's sister, whatever that means, through his mother, then he wouldn't have been permitted to take her as a wife. But because she's only through the father, she can take him as his wife. In other words, Abraham's trying to explain the following. He's trying to say, look, what I said wasn't actually not true. What I said actually was correct. She is my sister in the following respect. To which you might ask, Abimelech might ask, well, how come she's your wife? And how come she's your partner in every respect? And the answer is, that's permitted. Then he goes on to say, and in order to give truth to his words, he answered thus. What does he mean in order to give truth to his words? Because what Rashi is pointing out is that this doesn't help him achieve something else. It doesn't help him explain why he said she was his sister. Because what's the whole point of saying she's his sister? When, when I've announces to the Philistine world, she's my sister. It's not to say, oh, by the way, we happen to share a mother. What's the point? Correct. She's my sister is to say, she's not my wife. So Abimelech at this point can say, do me a favor, I don't care she's your half sister. You said she wasn't your wife and that's the incorrectness. And that's what's led to this disaster. So these words don't get Abraham out of that hole at all. And that's why Rashi says, He's not saying this to justify what his words were. That's been covered in the previous Pasuk. The question that Abimelech asked in Yud, it's been answered fully in Yud Aleph. If I had said she's my wife, you would have killed me. So what he's saying in Yud Bet, as Rashi says, is to show, to put truth to his words. So why does it matter? It's interesting. Um, one could well argue, I'm, in fact, I'm sure this is Pekach Nefesh. You're allowed to commit any transgression except the big three for Pekoch Nefesh, including lying. Can't lie for other reasons, by the way. Um, there is a mitzvah in the Torah, don't lie. A lot of people don't always realize that. But uh, for Pekoch Nefesh, you certainly can lie. 
Um, and in a sense, he did by saying she's not my sister, which was the implication of his words. Sorry, she's not my wife. So what's, why does he need to justify himself? The answer is because he's Avram Avinu. Because Avram Avinu, even in a time when it's essential and it's permitted, will still find a way of keeping to the truth. And that's what Rashi means as well. That Avram Avinu doesn't want to say something that's Sheker. So even when he has to distort, he still finds a way to put truth into his words. That's the nature of Avram Avinu. Even when it's necessary and permitted to lie, he still wants to minimize the falsehood. Yes. Um, is there an assumption that all sort of just knew the intricacies of I Interesting question. Uh, I'm going to answer it as saying, I don't know the answer to your question. I don't think he's necessarily saying to Abimelech, and of course, you know what I'm permitted to my sister, uh, my maternal sister. Um, I think that's really for us to appreciate that how it could be that she's his maternal sister and also his wife because we have the question. So I think the answer is for us. Okay, then um, we go on to say, the imtoma, and if you, the reader, were to say, the hello bat achiv haita, she was the daughter of his brother. She's not his sister. So where's the emet varav? Where's the truth of his words when she's not his sister? She's his brother's daughter. The answer is, b'nei banim harei hein kabanim. Grandchildren are like children. So this is a halachic idea, but it's also easy to make a sermon or two about it. There's a halachic idea, for instance, uh, one thing I can think of particularly is um, whether a woman whose husband died has to do yibum. What mean, what, under what basis does she not have to do yibum? If she has kids. What happens if she has grandchildren but no children? Because her children have died, but she's got grandchildren. The answer is, she doesn't have to do yibum because b'nei banim harei heim kabanim. And you can also say that Chazal are trying to say there's a connection between grandparents and grandchildren, which is similar and sort of complementary to the relationship between parents and children. Uh, if you teach your grandchild Torah, it's as if you receive the Torah from Mount Sinai, even in a different way to if you teach your child Torah, et cetera, et cetera. But says Rashi, this is the way to justify Abraham's word. So we're stretching it a little bit further. So we're relying on the fact that a half-sister is called a sister and Abraham is quoting a Chazal that says grandchildren are like children, but it's good enough to achieve the purpose, which Rashi said he's trying to achieve, which is to give some truth to his words. So, if you say, So instead of being the grandchild of Terach, we can count her as the child of Terach. Who else is a child of Terach? And therefore Abraham and Sarah are siblings. Therefore, given that grandchildren are like children, she is the child of her grandfather, Terah. And this is what he says to Lot, that we are brothers. And when he said that to Lot, says Rashi here, interestingly, he didn't say that there. He said something else there, but he's using that comment there when Abraham said to Lot, we're brothers, to inform what's going on here that he says Sarah is his sister. If Lot is his brother, because Lot's grandfather is the same as Abram's father and her grandfather is the same as a father, then Sarah is his sister in that way. Uh, so it is a bit of a stretch. Uh, you know, it's a two-stage process to say that this is true, but that's, that we're trying to show that Abraham doesn't speak falsehood. 
we use these two stages, the half-sister and the grandchild, to say that he's telling the truth. Um, and he also said, Ach, lo, but um, me, she's not the daughter of my mother. How come? Says Rashi, Haran me'aim acheret haya. Haran came from a different mother. So Terah, we now know, had two wives or two concubines. Um, Avraham and Nachor from one mother and Haran from a different mother. So Avraham and Haran were fraternal siblings, not full siblings. Haran's daughter, who we can say is the same as Haran, because therefore is Abraham's sister. But just like Haran was only a fraternal sibling, um, Sarah is by virtue of being a grandchild of Terach, also only a um, maternal sibling. So the point is, we have established that Abraham is not actually lying, which is good to know because Abraham is Abraham Avino and he's our model in all respects and he's a master of integrity. And even in a situation where he has to cloud the situation, he still finds a way not to lie. But again, it's not that this is the answer to um, Avimelech's question. This doesn't justify Abraham's uh, words. What justifies Abraham's words is Pasigid Aleph saying, if I hadn't said this, you would have killed me. But then he continues to say in Yud Gimel, um, okay, it's going to be hard to translate this because that's what Rashi's going to work on and he's going to quote Onkelos who translates it differently, but we'll have a go. And it was, so I'm going to have to use Rashi. When Elohim, when God made me wander, from the house of my father, and I said to her, this is still Abraham explaining to Abimelech the background of what just happened. I said to her, originally, when we started wondering, this is your kindness, that you will do with me, to every place where we come there, Imri Li, say literally to me, Rashi will explain, he is my brother. And that's the end of Abraham's word. So let's just sort of uh, pause. Abraham is saying the fact that she said that she is my sister, that wasn't a plot that we just uh, cooked up just now, but it's been a long-standing arrangement. So it follows on from positive bet. Number one, she is my sister, as explained. And number two, we've had this long-standing arrangement where we go to all sorts of dodgy places, and therefore we've always had this basis that she says she is my sister. Now, let's see Rashi. Onkelos translates what he translates. And there is also to settle each thing in its proper place. That expression, which is based on a positive Mishli, Rashi uses from time to time to say that um, he doesn't quite say, it's not exactly the same as Lodabati El Pshutar Shomikra. I've only come for the simple meaning of text. He's saying that I can explain things in a way that fits every word in its proper place. The implication is that in this case, Onkelos has not done so. So let's see what Onkelos says. Now, the relationship between Rashi and Onkelos is complicated, and I'm not sure I've fully worked out what are the clearly and what are the general rules. But here, what he's doing is saying, you will read Onkelos because you always read Onkelos, and you will notice that Onkelos goes in a different direction 
And I'm not really going to explain what he says. I'm going to go in my direction. But obviously, we had to understand Rashi's comment. We have to see Unculus. It's interesting that in a very short space of time, probably tonight, we're also going to see how Rashi quotes Unculus and takes time to explain what Unculus is saying when it differs from Rashi. That's not what he does here in Pasuk Yud Gimel. But let's see what Rashi, what Unculus says and try and understand why. He translates, by he, the Hebrew is, and Unculus says, when the nations strayed after the work of their hands, in other words, when they became idolaters, yati kariv Hashem the Dachalte. Hashem drew me near literally to his fear. Now, by the way, that, that's a, a very minor detail. Because Onkelos always avoids anthropomorphisms or, or personification of Hashem, um, he doesn't say that Hashem drew me near to him because Hashem is not an entity that one can actually draw near to. So he would always translate it in ways like this, that he drew near, he drew me near to his fear. In other words, he drew me to a state of fearing Hashem rather than he drew me to him. Um, uh, from the house of my father, and I said to her, and the rest is the same as um, we have in the Hebrew. So, now I translated it following what Rashi is going to say, as Hashem made me wonder. Onkelos avoids that. Onkelos does not say it means Hashem made me wonder, but rather it means when hitu, when they strayed, who's they? And then Onkelos adds in a whole parsha. The nations strayed after their idols. Then what happened? Hashem drew me near to him. So he adds that whole section. And this is atypical of Onkelos. Onkelos normally translates word for word. And when he doesn't, we have to ask why. And there's really two things that probably push him to do this. And Rashi actually responds to both of them. So we'll see what they are as we go through Rashi. Says Rashi, Onkelos Targeim Rashi Targeim, V'yeshli Yashvo Ol Dvar Dvar Al Afanav. And we can settle the verse each word in its proper place. In other words, unlike what Unkelos did, who added a whole section, which isn't there in the Hebrew. And he says, When Hashem brought me out from the house of my father, to be wandering and wandering, sorry, I'm not good at the uh, synonyms, from place to place, I knew that I would pass through the places of wicked people. And then, and I said to her, this is the kindness that you will do. So, means Hashem made me wonder. And it's referring to the moment when Hashem said, and it's an interesting point that we now hear from Rashi understand a bit more of the nature of the test, whether it's the first test or the second test, um, that the test of Lechacha wasn't just leave your father's house, which is hard, and leave your birthplace, which is hard, and leave your land, which is hard, but it was enter into a period of tremendous uncertainty and tremendous danger. 
because in the wanderings, we're going to pass through places which are dangerous, where they might take my wife and kill me. And I have to set up a strategy in advance. So that's part of the nature of the test of Lechacha. Uh, I just want to point out something that I've noticed, um, I'm sure is significant, I can't get to the bottom of. He uses the word Moshotet, which means to wander. And where else do you find that word Moshotet? I'll tell you, the Rambam in Hilchot Avodazara. So the Rambam in the laws of Avodazara does something at the beginning of Hilchot Avodazara quite untypical for the Rambam. The Mishnah Torah is the book of it is not a story book. Is that a, is that a Rambam? No, no. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> um, but at the beginning of Avodazara, the Rambam gives the history of Avodazara, how mankind got into this mess. And he says they, uh, they started by worshipping the stars as emissaries to Hashem, like, oh dear star, please send my message to God. Because if they go through like God's secretaries, that's like an efficient way of getting their prayer to God. But then over time, they forgot that they were praying to the stars as emissaries, but they started praying to the stars as gods. Uh, and that's where it all fell down. And what began to rescue the situation? Somebody called Avram Avin. Avram Avin was born and he worked out for himself that there was a God and he brought the knowledge of God to the world. And the Rambam uses the words, he says, when this giant was weaned, he began to wonder in his mind. Interestingly, Rashi uses the word to wander physically, to go from place to place. Rambam is talk, clearly not talking about going from place to place because it's all while Avram is in Urkastim, but it means to wander from idea to idea until you get to the truth. And um, I can't see anyone, I've looked quite hard to give me a source for why the Rambam uses that word or why Rashi uses that word, but I, I think it's, it's significant that they both use that word to describe Abraham's journeys. It's not a common word. It doesn't occur very often in, in any book, actually, because I look for a good card to try and find out. Um, so I just think it's interesting and somebody should uh, do some more research on why the Rambam says Abraham, as a young man, is wandering intellectually and Rashi says Abraham when he's wandering physically, they use the same word. Okay. Uh, it looks to me like a different conjugation, but um, of the conversation between God and the Satan is... Um, uh, the Satan's going to wander on the earth, yeah? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so first of all, excellent recording of a posse. Pretty impressive. Um, secondly, I remember this, I didn't know what I was looking for. Okay, secondly, I wonder if there is a connection. So this isn't scripture, by the way, this isn't Tanakh. This is Rashi on yeah, the one hand, and but they, uh, would but they, they would have got it from somewhere. Um, so the, the Satan is also wondering, like, to see what's going on. Also it's an, it's an inquiry. Positive versus negative yeah. Experience, like, you know, okay. Is he really as good as he thinks? Yes. And he's trying to find out. Right. Trying to find out. So what we'd have to do is look for, and it wouldn't be too hard to find every instance of the root shintet text in Tanakh and see if there's some theme emerging. Okay, next thing. Why does Rashi, uh, sorry, why does Unculus avoid this interpretation? And the, you know, the burden of proof is Unculus. Because Unculus normally translates word for word and he's deviated significantly. So I said there are two reasons and Rashi's going to address them both. And now Rashi addresses one of them. On the words kashe hitu, Loshon Rabim, it's plural. How many gods are there? Pretty basic principle, this. One. So when God does something, it must be in the singular. 
And that's reason one why Onkelos didn't use this translation. And notice in Onkelos's translation, who strayed? Nation. The nations, plural. So it fits, right? It all becomes plural if it's the, if the subject is the nations. It's like yeah, I, I must admit, I, I'm not sure it's the same word. Okay, I, I used to think it was the same as ta'ut with a tet, um, but I don't think it is. Uh, and that's why I'm not saying make a mistake, but to stray as in go off the path. Okay. Oh, I see, you're quite right. Yeah. Oh, so, okay, so then people of greater Hebrew knowledge than me wonder if tet ayin and taf ayin are related. Okay. Uh, interesting question. Um, although Rashi, and he's going to come back to this, Rashi says it definitely means stray in a physical sense, go off the path or go round and round. Onkelos says it means stray in the ideological sense. And what's another way of saying make, I, stray in an ideological sense? Make a mistake. So maybe Onkelos is swapping it for a different word. Maybe it's a coincidence. I'm not sure. Okay, so the first problem that Onkelos has is how can Elohim, the subject, be at the subject of a plural verb? And that's why he produces a new subject, mainly the Amim, the nations, being the subject. But Rashi says it's not a problem. He says, Kasher hit u Lashon Rabim, the Al Titma. Don't be surprised. Kiba Harbe Mokamot Lashon Elokut, the Lashon Marut, Kurui Lashon Rabim. In many places, the expression referring to God and the expression referring to mastery is given a plural expression. That's how Hebrew works. You will find Hashem, one God, but with a plural verb. For instance, Asher Holchu Elohim, where God walked, Holchu plural, or Elohim Chaim, God, living God, Chaim in the plural, or Elohim Kedoshim, holy God, Kedoshim in the plural. The Chol Loshan Elohim Loshan Rabim. In fact, the word Elohim is plural which is always a big sort of problem because we're very hot on this monotheism thing. There's really, really only one God. Yet the word Elohim is plural. The word Adonai, which we use as a kinui, as a uh, replacement for the name that we don't say, we also say in the plural. Adonai is my masters, not Adoni. So Rashi says, don't worry about it because expressions of God and expressions of mastership, which could be the same, are often in the plural. And then he says a slightly different tack, and the master, that's what it means, of Yosef took. And it's written as the masters of Yosef, but it means one master's, Potiphar. Um, what, what the shift is, the first examples where the noun attaches a plural verb or a plural adjective. Now we've gone into the noun itself is in plural. So Adonai instead of Adon. Next one, the Adonai Ha'adonim, that's referring to Hashem, the master of masters. But again, Adonai is plural. Next one, Adonai Ha'aretz, the brothers of Yosef, when they, when they didn't know who he was, they called him, when they were told the story of their visit to Egypt, they said Adonai Ha'aretz, the master of the land, and they used a plural form. V'chein, and he goes on, Ba'alav Imo, if you borrow an item from somebody else and you break it, you have to um, pay back. Unless the owner of the object was with you when you broke it. 
as the, as the Chumash says, a love, its master, but it says it in plural, was with him. Next one, the Hu'ad Baba'alav, also actually from the same section. Um, if you have a ox which is regularly goring and it's become testified against, and then it becomes a Mu'ad, which means testify, which means the next time it goes, you have to pay more than if it hadn't been testified against. And it's testified Baba'alav in the presence of its master. But again, it's a plural word. Okay, so Rashi clearly realizes you might have a problem with the plural form of Hitu. Um, why might you, why does Rashi think that? Because Onkelos does. And in a sense, what, what's Rashi doing here? He's doing, he's showing that you can fit every word without doing what Onkelos does. Um, but he has to explain how he's able to do that. And the other problem, well, let's see what he says now. The Tomar, and if you say, Mahu Loshan Hitu, what is meant by Hitu? Anyone who is exiled from his place and is not settled, Kurui To'er, is called a strayer or if you like a wanderer. Kumo the Teta, she went and she wandered. That refers to the next parrot, that refers to Hagar when she was sent away um, with Yishmael. Another one, Te'iti Kaseh Oved. Tovana Melach in Tehillim says, I have wandered like a lost sheep. And another one, Yit'u Livli Ochel, wandering without food, which means Yit'u V'yit'u Levakesh Ochlam. They go out and they wander to request to seek their food. Now, I've actually seen two ideas about what Onkelos, where Onkelos would disagree. So it seems to me that, uh, and actually, if it is related to Tapult with a Tet, it, it works, um, that it may be that Onkelos thinks it refers to ideological wanderings, um, which wouldn't be the case with um, Avraham. And that's why Onkelos says it must be non-Jewish nations who are ideologically wandering and making a mistake. Or um, the examples, the other examples that he brought, uh, if you look, well, certainly the Telech Veteta, certainly in relation to Hagar, um, I saw a suggestion that Sha'ul can only be wandering in a desert, at least according to Onkelos. And that's why Rashi wants to say, no, it means general wandering. And he gives examples which aren't restricted to deserts. So either you can say, or maybe there are reasons as well, but I would like to suggest either Onkelos thinks Hitu is only ideological wandering, so it can't be Abraham doing his physical wandering, or it can only mean wandering in a desert or ideologically, neither of which fit Abraham. And that's why Onkelos insists that it doesn't mean Abraham doing the wandering. But Rashi says, you know what? It can. It just means straying. It just means going in a sort of undesignated way. Okay, then Rashi says, Imri Lee, say to me. Now, this is the point that he's made before, but he has to make it again, because it cannot mean say to me. Why can't it mean say to me? Because the next two words. Achi who? Sarah, please say to Abraham, Abraham, he is my brother. What would make sense? Abraham, you are my brother. But it doesn't say you are my brother, it says he is my brother. So Rashi says, don't worry. Because Imri Lee does not mean say to me, but rather Imri Lee, a lie, says about me. So once you say Lee can mean about me, everything's fine. He asked Sarah, 
to say about me, Abraham, he is my brother when somebody else asks you about me. Rashi having made this audacious claim that Lee does not mean to me has to prove it, obviously. So he brings examples and he says, um, uh, from uh, the case of uh, Yitzchak doing the same trick with the wife sister thing, when he goes to uh, Gera, and they asked the people of the place to his wife. What does it mean? They asked about his wife, um, meaning Al Ishto, as Rashi says. Now, this is an interesting one because it means it Paro says literally to the Bnei Israel in Shemot Perak Yudalad Pasuk Gimel. Now, if you're familiar with the structure of Perak Yudalad Pasuk Gimel, what's the problem? Why can't Paro be speaking to the Bnei Israel in Shemot Perak Yudalad? Because they've all gone. <laughs> they've all gone. By the way, there is a midrash based on this point that says he was speaking to Datan and Avira, who stayed behind to work as a, with Paro. So it's interesting. Um, that's a midrash. Since I've just mentioned this, I'll say, uh, we always say Midrash doesn't fit with the simple meaning of the text and Peshat does. But as Nacham says, it's not always so simple. So for instance, in that example, I'll just, I'll just mention it. If you say, like the Midrash says, Paro is speaking to certain limited members of B'nai Israel, you have maintained the Lamed, meaning two, which like it normally does. According to Rashi, the Peshat means you have to distort the neutral meaning of the Lamed and change it into about. So the simple meaning, Paro is talking about the Bnei Israel, is not the most literal reading of the text. The Midrashic meaning, Paro is talking to Dath and Avira, which has no basis in the Chumash, does maintain the literal meaning of the text. Pshat uh, and Drash sometimes sort of cross over in terms of their faithfulness to the actual text. Anyway, back to this one. So Rashi uses this to say, it must be Paro talking about the Bnei Israel because they've all gone. He says it's Kamok al Bnei Yisrael. And the last one, Shoftim Peraktet, Pen Yomru Li Isha Haragathu. Lest they say, Li, to me, literally, a woman killed him. What's the story? Avi Melech, not relation, no relation to this Avi Melech, Avi Melech, son of Gidon, who was a shofet after his father Gidon, uh, was laying siege to a city and a woman threw. I forget what it was from the something heavy out out over the wall and it landed on his head and killed him or he, he lay about to die just in time to say to his armor bearer kill me first because what would be the worst insight in the world a woman killed me that was her way he thought so he said kill me now please lest they say lee that a woman killed me and that certainly cannot mean to me because they can't they can't be worried about people saying anything to him because he's about to be dead so lest they say about me. So those are all examples where there's no ambiguity, that it must be that the Lamad or the league um, is about. So in order to explain Imri, Li, Achi, who? Rashi says that Li does not mean to me, but means about me. Pasuk Yud Dalad. Abimelech took flocks and herds and servants and maidservants be attained Abraham and he gave to Abraham and he returned to him Sarah his wife quick rushing in order that he should be appeased 
alav, and he should govern for him. Now, why does Rashi need to say this? What other reason could there be for Avimelech to be giving money to Abraham? Maybe it's sort of repentance having done something wrong. Well, yes, but I don't think that's very different from to appease him. To keep Sarah. To keep Sarah. Well, he's giving back Sarah. Okay, it's a little bit uh, distasteful, but this Rashi and the next Rashi, I think, are showing that Abimelech, the whole story, has to take great pains to avoid any suggestion that he is paying Sarah for services rendered, because that will be the worst thing. So he's not giving money to Abraham for services rendered. He's giving money for a different reason. And that's why Rashi says to appease him and that he should daven for him. Now that also fits, and I mentioned this last week, there's a, there's a background going on that Rashi mentions a few times. The Pasuk only mentions at the end. Um, Abraham davened to Hashem and Hashem healed Abimelech and his wife and their maidservants and they gave birth. Because Hashem had shut up all womb of the house of Abimelech. So Rashi says, so the Pasuk says there's some illness going on, there's some problem. Rashi said it wasn't just they couldn't give birth, but they all their orifices were closed. Um, and uh, uh, we said last week, it has to be something more than just not being able to give birth, because clearly in Yudzayin, Avimelech, who was not going to give birth because he's a man, is also healed. So Rashi says it was much more widespread than what's implied uh, just a problem of not being able to give birth. But whatever, there's a problem going on. And Rashi's already said that Abimelech is going to need Abraham to daven. When he said, you've got to return to, here we are, Pasuk Zion, Perikaf Pasuk Zion. Hashem said, return his wife because he is a prophet. And he will daven for you. By the way, Rashi said the Naviot is not related to the davening. You don't have to be a Navi to daven. Uh, he's a Navi that he will know, therefore, that you didn't, that Avrimelech didn't actually touch Sarah. And therefore, he'll be happy to take her back. And, uh, and, and he, Hashem had to reassure Avrimelech that Abraham wouldn't be unhappy to take her back because Abraham is a Navi. But there in Pasuk Zion, it was clear that uh, Avimelech needed davening. And it's not just he'll like give you a nice bracha, uh, you know, because we all like a nice bracha, but the chaye, and you will live. So if he doesn't daven for you, he's going to die. You're going to die. So now Rashi uses that reference in Pasuk Zion to explain what's going on in Pasuk Yudalat, that the gifts that Avimelech is giving to Avram is not payment for Sarah, but on the contrary, it's for a different reason. So he will appease him and therefore he will daven for him. As we've already established, Abimelech needs Abraham to daven for him. And then Rashi says nothing. Then we go on to Pasuk Tetvav. Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you in the good. What is, what is good in your eyes, please dwell. What do you notice about this? Okay, bit of a vague question there. So, 
Um, as you've heard me say many times, whenever Rashi sees two things which are similar yet different, he explains why they are similar yet different. So after Paro in Egypt responded to Abraham saying, she is my sister, when, he, uh, when it was all revealed, uh, Paro said to Abraham in Yud Bet Yud Tet, Lama Amarta Achotihi Ota Li. Why did you say she is my sister and I took her to me, Leisha, as a wife? The Ata Hine Ishtacha, and behold, here is your wife, Kach Valeich. Take her and go. So Paro says, Take her and go. Abimelech says, Behold, my land is before you. Stay wherever you want to. So that's a big contrast. So Rashi has to explain the contrast. And he says on the words, As we just saw, Paro said, take your wife and go. Because Paro was afraid. The Egyptians are immersed in immorality. So if Abraham stays in Egypt, there's a very big danger that exactly what Abraham feared would happen, Sarah would be taken, he'd be killed, would still happen. Because Paro says, even though I, Paro, have got the message, you can't trust the Egyptian people. Abimelech, on the other hand, says, I, Abimelech, have got the message, and I have told everyone not to touch uh, Sarah. Um, Yeah, Abimelech told all his servants, which I think by extension means all the people, uh, what had happened, and they were all very afraid. So they're not going to touch Sarah. So that's why Abimelech can say to Abraham, stay wherever you want. And we've now got time to start Zion, which is probably going to take us a while. Because Tetzayin is very hard to understand. And uh, I'll tell you now that this is the one where Rashi brings Onkelos and explains Onkelos, but also brings his own opinion. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a challenge to understand all the words. Challenge for me, anyway. Pasuk Tetzayin. Ula Sarah Omar. And to Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given a thousand silver to your brother. Hinei hu lach. Behold, this is for you, kasut enayim, a covering of the eyes, the chol asher itach, to all that are with you, the et kol, and all the nochachat, and you will be vindicated. So you can hear how hard it is to translate because it's hard to get all the words to sort of fit together, but let's see what Rashi says. Ulasara Omar, Abimelech. Abimelech spoke to Sarah, Lichvoda, for her honor, Kedei Lafayasa, in order to appease her. So there's a symmetry, by the way. In Yudalad, Abimelech wants to appease Abraham, and now he wants to appease Sarah. He wants to make amends to both parties. And he's doing this, Lichvoda, he's speaking to her about, uh, he's speaking to her in the first place, and the content of his speech is Lichvoda, for her honor. Kedei Lafayasa, in order to to appease her. 
And he says, Behold, I have done for you this honor. I have given money to your brother. I say your brother because that's how you described him. You said he is my brother. So the first thing to say is, he's not giving money to Sarah, by the way. He says, I've given money to your brother to appease you. Why doesn't he give money to Sarah? So it could be that, as I said earlier, that's one thing he can't do. Because if he gives money to Sarah, it means treating her like a prostitute. So that he has to avoid that. He can be nice to her, he can be, give her honor, but he can't give her money. So he says, I've given money to your brother. Now, by the way, there is an ambiguity. Does it mean that he gives in Yudalad, Son Uvakaba Avadimushvachot, and in Tetzain, he gives an additional thousand pieces of silver? Possibility one. Or is he saying that the value of the property that I've given to Abraham is equivalent to a thousand pieces of silver? It's not clear. You can read it either way. There is probably an implication about which one it might be, but we'll just leave it as saying it's just a, an ambiguity in Russian. So he says, La'achich. So Rashi has to explain why he says, I've given money to your brother when he wasn't this is her brother, he was her husband. And the answer is, you called him your brother, so I'm gonna to stick to that. Then he says, okay, the big problem, the big problem is what is kasut einayim? Cover of eyes, l'chal asher itach, to all that were with you. What does that phrase in particular mean? And as you will see, that's the big difference between Rashi and Onkelos. So Rashi says, um, Behold, the money and the honor, this honor for you, will be a covering of the eyes for all who are with you. What does that mean? Their eyes will close, they will cover their eyes. So all who are with you means people who you more come across. And they will cover their eyes they won't treat you dishonorably. Because I have given you lots of honor, other people, when they see you with their eyes, will not treat you dishonorably. And it goes on to explain, if I had returned you empty, if I had given you back to Abraham with no money, Yeshlahem Lemar. They could have said, these other people, after he violated her or disgraced her, he returned her. If he'd given nothing, it would be like he, he's king, he takes this woman, he keeps her for the night, and then he gives her back in a disgraceful way. That would make people look down on Sarah. Now that I've been needed, I've needed to dispense money, and to appease you, it's, everyone will know, but it's against my will that I returned you, and by means of a miracle. So had I just returned you empty-handed, it would have looked like I chose to take you, I chose to give you back. The fact that, and, and you're just my plaything. The fact that I've had to spend money in order to get your appeasing shows that it's all been forced on me, that I had to give you back, 
And that's through a nace. Otherwise, why would I have given you back? Was, why would I give you money unless I was forced to? Why would I give you back um, unless I was, if I'm having to give you money, then why would I give you back unless I was forced to? What forced you? What forced me? It must be a miracle. That will establish honor in, your, in other people's eyes. And that's the kasut anayim. So kasut anayim is a covering of the eyes, which means it will stop people looking at you disrespectfully. It is a little bit stretched for Rashi to say that, which is why Onkala says something completely different. And then the Rachol Ashietach, he's already said, means all people who you will come across who otherwise would look down on you. And then he says, the et kol, on the words, last words, the et kol, the nochachat, with all you will be vindicated. Says Rashi, the et kol, the im kol boe olam. So who are all these, who is kol? We don't know what kol is. It doesn't really make sense. So Rashi explains, it means everyone who comes into the world, in other words, people, you will have literally an opening of the mouth. You will have a, a logical argument to be vindicated and to show these recognizable things. So you will be able to prove your honor because the fact, as I said before, the fact that I had to give money in order to appease you shows that I was acting against my will, shows that a higher power was forcing me to do it, and that's your honor. And then he says, and we'll just finish here, I think, um, the word in all cases means a clarity, an explanation, a clarification of things. Ubalaz, um, which I think is the old French word relating to the English word prove. So he says in every place, I don't think that's to be taken absolutely literally. I think he means, generally speaking, it means to prove something. Because tochacha, we know, means something else. What does tochacha mean? To rebuke. And it is used elsewhere in the Chumash to mean rebuke. So I think what Rashi is saying is, in general, it means not to rebuke, but to clarify. Because if it meant rebuking here, it wouldn't make sense. But no chachot, um, some sort of passive form of it will be rebuked. That doesn't make sense. What makes sense is it will be proved. You will be proved. You will be vindicated. Your position will be proved true because of, as I said, giving the money. Um, so Rashi has to explain the words ve'et kol v'nochachot because we wouldn't know what they mean. He explains ve'et kol means in front of everybody and v'nochachot means you will be vindicated because that's what v'koach uh, normally means. Okay, we're going to stop there. Next week we will carry on in the middle of this verse when we will see Onkelos's alternative explanation of these words, and particularly Kasut Enayim, Lecholashe Itach, he has a completely different direction for that. And what's interesting is Rashi takes the time to go through Onkelos um, and to explain it for us. Okay, we will stop there. Thank you very much. Thank you. You can ask a question. Um, just to start with Shira, when we were speaking about um, Heraclius, Rashi has a, uh, a comment on it. I'm wondering, why we actually in the first place, because when we ended last week with Pasuk Ted, um, and then the same thing, basically asked the same question, 
but what, and what, if he continues talking, why does it firstly remember the answer is, it's the starts by Yom Abi Melech El Abraham. It's already talking to him in Pasuk Tet. So why does he, why does the Torah say that again? And I guess then also why does Pasuk Yud adding that it's not in Pasuk Tet? Okay, excellent question. That's the trouble of cutting the share between Tet and Yud. Um, it's uh, hard to spot that. So you're saying that Yud is basically a repetition of the key points of Tet. And an interesting thing, by Yikra Abi Melech El Abraham, is said basically twice. Because Avram hasn't replied in Tet. So normally we wouldn't expect another Vayikra Avimelech or Vayom Avimelech because it's still Avimelech speaking. Hebrew doesn't, classically Hebrew doesn't have inverted commas, doesn't have speech marks. The only reason we know somebody stopped speaking is somebody else starts speaking. So why does Avimelech start speaking twice? Okay, so I, I, I'm entitled to say Rashi doesn't address this, and this is a Rashi share. It's my cop out every time. Um, but presumably, Rashi sees Yud and, and Tet as two separate questions, although they look similar. And I'm just trying to think how that may be. In Tet, he says, Ma'asita lanu, what have you done? Umachatati lach, and how have I sinned to you? And then in Yud, he says, what did you see to do this in the first place? Um, interestingly, he uh, and, and Avram doesn't answer it. So it's like all one question, which Avram then ask, answers. So why, okay, I'm not gonna answer it because I don't know uh, and we've run out of time, but your question, I'll just, maybe I'll try and we'll all try and do some homework before next week is why, is, does anyone talk about this repetition between Tet and Yud? We know that Rashi doesn't. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it doesn't appear like yeah. it is a separate question.